Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church, continuing with our series on 1 Peter entitled Behind Enemy Lines. Last week, we went, kind of went over the role of a wife, and this week, we're going to go over a husband's role in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Please enjoy. First Peter chapter 3. Well, wives, last Sunday you got it. This Sunday the husbands get it. So praise the Lord. First Peter chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to have your places. Please stand respect and reverence to the word of God. I'm going to read one verse, verse number 7. The Bible says, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And the title of the message this morning is A Husband's Role. A Husband's Role. Let's pray. Pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for everything that you've done for us and for bringing us to this place where we can learn from your word. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in here can take something home from the Word of God this morning that can change our lives and make us better Christians. Help us, Lord, clear our minds and our thoughts. Help our hearts to focus on what you're trying to tell us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Worldly, ungodly people hate what the Bible says about the roles in a marriage. Absolutely, positively hate it, especially the wife's role, especially the wife's role in a marriage. But you understand when you understand these roles from a biblical sense, it, it becomes a wonderful thing. It becomes a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, but I do believe, however, there, if you look in our society, there are faint remnants of the role of a wife prevalent in our society today. I do see them. I see them out there. They're faint. But they, there are some callbacks to the role of a wife prevalent in our society today. But what I think something that is totally lost What's totally lost is the role of a husband. The role of a husband has been totally lost today. And it's something that we need to be reminded of. You know, a lot of us, where we get the picture from our, uh, of, of husbands is we get our picture of husbands from TV. So instead of, had, instead of having good biblical husbands out there, we've got a bunch of Homer Simpsons and Al Bundy's. So, and, 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 th and th that's what we've got in our society today. And you look at a sitcom today, and the mom runs a house, and the dad's just a buffoon. And basically, the dad is just another child in the home that the mom has to raise. Men today do not know what it is to be a man. They have no idea what it is to be a man in a marriage. This is so needed in our society. We talked about last week how uh, marriages, 50% uh, of them end in divorce. But did you know, did you know when it's a biblical marriage, 
that percentage drops. If you take just the one thing of keeping yourselves pure until marriage, you take that one thing, add it into the marriage and nothing else, the stat drops from 50% down to 25%. And every time you add a biblical concept into a marriage, that stat, it gets lower and lower and lower. Sometimes I'll have a, 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 a new guy start at the shop and I don't know, maybe he's got some, sometimes they have mechanic experience, sometimes they don't. A lot of times you're just shade tree mechanics. And so he gets out there and he's trying to take an oil filter off of a car and I watch him struggle for five minutes, for 10 minutes. And then eventually I'm like, okay, we got to move this along. So I go over there and I, gave, I give my unsought advice. I say, you know what? You take that engine cover off and use the band wrench instead of the, uh, uh, a spring cup. It might come off quicker. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they roll their eyes at me. And, uh, but eventually, they'll come around to doing it the way I told them to do it because it's the right way to do it. And they'll think, hey, this guy knows something. Well, I've been at that oil chain shop for 12 years. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Okay? And look, it's the same with God. The same with God. God has been helping people have, have successful marriages before we were thought of. Before we were a twinkle in our parents' eye, God was helping people have successful marriages. So maybe he knows what he's talking about. Maybe he knows how marriage is supposed to work, and that's something that me and you should trust. There's a lot of detail in the word of God about, about what a husband is supposed to do. But what we're going to do in this verse in 1 Peter 3 is we're going to use it as a springboard. Now, I can't spend a whole message on the wives and not spend a whole message on the husbands. So that's what I'm about to do. I'm going to use this, this verse in 1 Peter 3, 7. I'm going to use it as, as a springboard to do a quick study in the Bible on what the role of a husband should be in a marriage. Now, these are short, simple statements in the Bible that, that lay out what it, is, what it is that a husband is and what it is that a husband does. Let's read this verse again. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge... Giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together through the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm actually going to come back to this later. We're going to come back to this verse later on. Right now, I want to go to another major passage in the Bible concerning husbands. That's Ephesians 5. So why don't you go ahead and turn there. Why don't you go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. I bit my tongue a while ago. I'm trying to see if I'm bleeding. I don't think I am. So, huh? That was dripping. You wouldn't be able to tell from a beard. So, what we're going to do in Ephesians 5 is we're going to lay the foundation for the husband here. This is the foundation for the husband. Hey, husbands, listen to me. Ephesians 5, this is a passage you need to know, this is a passage you need to memorize. This is a passage, husbands, that you need to take to heart and you need to make this a part of your life. Let's start reading in Ephesians 5 and verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives, 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men, ought, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, look, verse 33 is a summary. Verse 33 is a summary of all these verses. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know, it's interesting that the Bible talks about how the man is the leader of the home. The man is the leader of the home. But right here in this passage of Scripture, um, there, it's interesting that there are no commands about leadership here. There are no commands about, uh, about, the, about the, anything to do with the leadership in this verse. Why? Because the husband's chief responsibility in a marriage is love. Love is a husband's chief responsibility. I have, I have love towards my life, uh, toward, towards my wife, and uh, the, the, my responsibility I have towards her is love. Look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm to lead the guys at work, but I don't love them like I love her. So it's kind of different. So in, 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 in the marriage, uh, the wife's chief responsibility is to submit. We went over that last week. But... The husband's chief responsibility is to love, agape, self-sacrificing love. So I want you to see here in verse 25 that love is a command, okay, and not a feeling. It doesn't say to, to love if you feel it. It just commands you to love. You know, there are love stories everywhere you go. Um, you can watch a 30-second commercial and get a whole love story. Um, sometimes when I want my wife to go see a shoot 'em up movie or a, or a superhero movie, I'll say, but honey, it's a love story. Because she loves those rom-coms and she loves those love stories. And back when we were first dating, I could trick her. You know, I, I could say, honey, there's a love story. Because usually, even no matter what the movie is, there's a love story in there somewhere, you know. So, you know, I say, it's a love story. Okay. And she'll go in there. It's a shoot 'em up movie. Now I tell her it's a love story. She kind of rolls her eyes at me. But, um, you know, a lot of times these stories that Hollywood comes up with, they're off base. You know why? Because they're based on the feelings of love. Let me make a statement right now. Love is not feelings, but love has feelings. Love is not feelings, but it has feelings. Let me explain. I know what it's like to be madly in love. When we were dating, I would lie awake at night in, in, in my bed in my dorm room, and I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about her. 
Now I can't sleep and it's because my back hurts. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sleeping for a, a different reason. But, you know, the emotions of love, it's a good thing. It's an exciting thing. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, it, it's a beautiful thing. But the thing is, you can have those feelings for something that's ungodly. You can have those same feelings towards someone who's not your spouse. So just because you have those feelings of love does not make your relationship legitimate. Also, lack of those feelings does not make your relationship illegitimate. My parents, when they got divorced, said the same thing that most people say when they get divorced. Oh, we fell out of love. Okay. Um, God didn't tell you to fall in love in the first place. God didn't tell you to fall in love. How are you going to fall out? He never told you to fall in. He doesn't tell us to fall in love. He tells us to walk in love. And that is different. Love in the Bible is a verb. It's a command. You know why? Because you can simply do it. You can just simply love. You can make that choice. You can do it. Oh, Brother Brett, you can't force love. I can't force anybody to love me. But I can force my son, myself to love anybody. I can do it. I can just make that choice. And that is what a husband is commanded to do. Husband, you are commanded to walk and choose to love your wife day after day after day after day. It is a choice. It is a command. It is up to you. Now, look, doing that, choosing to walk in love it can produce those feelings of love. But the feelings of love can't produce a walk in love. See, one can create the other, but not the other way around. You know, we're in Ephesians 2, and, and if you back all the way up to, to verse 2 in Ephesians 5, you, Ephesians 5, uh, 5, 2, we're all commanded to walk in love. So ladies, you can take these principles too. You can take these principles and use them in your love relationships too. So we're all commanded to walk in love, but we get all the way down to verse 25, the husbands are singled out. And the husbands say, look, husbands, I'm, I'm pointing this out to you specifically. This especially is for the husbands. Your wife, she's the one. She's the one. She is the one that takes your focus more than anybody else. Uh, 2 John 1, 6. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Okay? J Jesus very simply says here, um, if you love me, obey my commands. You may say, well, yes, I love God, but I'm not ready to do what the God's telling me to do in my life. Then you don't love him. You don't love him. Oh, you may have feelings of love toward God, but feelings aren't actions. If you don't have actions of love towards God, you don't love God. You can have feelings all you want to, but to walk in love, it's a verb, it's an action, it's a command, it's a choice. Actions. You know the old, th old saying, actions speak louder 
than words. This goes for the husband too. Husband, you are to have tactile, 3D, tangible actions to show that you are walking in love towards your bride every single day. This is simple, but it's not easy. It's difficult. You want to know why? Because the husband has to come to the place where he says, I die to myself. I die to myself. Um, and he puts her first. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I don't want to put her first. Sometimes I'm not in the mood to be loving to her. Sometimes um, I'm not in the mood to say things to her in a loving manner. I don't know if you have you know, any idea what that's like. I don't know. Not at all. You have no idea what I'm talking about. There was a story about this couple. It came to a, a Christian counselor for their marriage. And the husband looked at the counselor and said, um, counselor, the love is gone. The thrill is gone. The thrill is gone. The love is gone. Counselor looked at the husband and said, well, you know, you're commanded to love your wife. And the husband said, oh, no, you, you don't understand. You do not understand. It's like she's not even my wife. It's like she's just my neighbor. It's like, it's like she's my roommate. It's like we live in the same house, but I go and do my thing, and she goes and does her thing, and we pass just a couple of times a day, and it's like she's not in my wife anymore. It's like she's just a neighbor. And the counselor said, well, you know, you're commanded to love your neighbor. And then the guy said, the, the husband said, no, 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 you, 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 you don't understand. It's like this woman, she's not the woman I married. It's like, it's like she's somebody different. She's changed. It's like she's a stranger. I don't even know who this woman is anymore. And the counselor leaned towards the husband and said, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to love strangers. And then the guy said, no, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's like. It's like she's my enemy. It's like she's my enemy. She tries to undermine my life and she does things to hurt me and wound me. And then the counselor leaned forward and says, you know what the Bible has to say about enemies? Supposed to love your enemies. You know, and I say that story to, to, to get this point across is that there is never a time when a husband's call to love the wife does not apply. It is a constant, it is a constant call. It is always there. So then let's ask this question. How is a husband's love for his wife different than anybody else? Well, you know, love is love, and it's hard to categorize love. I love my kids. I love my sister. I love my parents. Um, but marriage is my stewardship. So because marriage is my stewardship, she's a priority. She's a priority in my life. Her needs come First, I mean, I want to help other people, and I want to love everybody, and I want to love everybody else's needs, but... Her needs come first above everybody else because she's my bride. She's a priority. There are going to be times in this church 
when you're going to come to me and you're going to say, Brother Brett, I think we should start doing this. We need to start doing this in the church. I'm going to say, okay, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Who's going to do that? Who's, who's going to head that up? You know why? Because I'm going to tell you, first off, I can't spread myself so thin that takes away time from her. I can't do that. First, I am not called to do every single ministry in this church. That is not my calling. I'm not called to do everything. In fact, it's my job to equip you to do the ministry. That's what the pastor's job is. Second, um, look, um, if I don't have a home, I don't have a ministry. Your ministry is an outflow of the home. Yes, I work a full-time secular job, and people think that means I'm a part-time pastor, but if you've ever been a bivocational pastor, that is not what that means. When I am not at work, I am studying for messages. It takes hours and hours to, to get a, a, a Sunday sermon together, hours and hours to study for a Wednesday night Bible study and all the stuff you have to do. And then in that, I have to etch out time for the family and for, for, for her. And look, her time, her, she's a priority. If I don't have her, I don't have a ministry. She comes first. Next in verse 25. Um, we're told to love our wives and do it as Christ loved the church. Do it as Christ loved the church. And then he gives a description of how he loved the church. He did a lot of things for the church, Christ did. But you know what? One of the things that he did, especially the following, he took our sins and he put them on himself. And he paid the price so that he could forgive us and bring us back. Husbands, there are times when you're going to have to take the hard thing that the wife may do or you're going to have to take the offense that she committed against you or she's going to hurt your feelings and you just need to take it. You just got to carry that. You need to suffer for it and you need to forgive. Look, Christ put his needs way above the needs of the church, way above his own. And the husbands need to do that for the wife. And that, that's why when, when a wife sub, submitting to her husband, it's different than just submitting to a master or a boss because the boss doesn't put uh, the employee's needs above his own. And so that's how a wife submitting in a, a marriage is different than that. Um, for instance, like if I hire somebody, um, you're going to see a little bit of manager Brett here. Uh, if I hire someone and then I give them a schedule and they say something to me, the effect of, well, that schedule's not convenient for me. After a pause for effect, I'll look at that person and say, I didn't hire you for your convenience. I hired you for my convenience. Okay. And I've said that a few times because as a manager, I'm not going to say that to her, but, uh, but you see, but you see that that's the thing. That's the thing is I put her needs above my own. Whereas a boss employee relationship, I'm not going to do that for an employee. Okay. Because that, that's how those relationships work. If we're going to go out to eat and I want to go over here and she wants to go over there, I'm going to go where she wants to go. Oh, brother Brett, I thought you made the decisions. I do. And I decided I want to bless her. That, that's what I want to do. I decided the wind agrees with me. 
But, uh, you know, I decided I want to put my wife's needs above my own. I need to put her preferences above my own. I'm going to confess something to you right now. I'm studying for this message, and I got to thinking, you know what? For years, ever since we've been married, I've told my wife, you can put any bedding you want in our bedroom, but it can't be nothing frilly, it can't be nothing flowery, it can't be nothing frou-frou, and no pink. And so I've always told her that. No flower. My main thing is no flowers. I just don't want any flowers in there. So I'm studying for this message. It's like the Holy Spirit kicked me in the gut. And I text my wife while I'm studying for this message. I said, I've come to a really weird decision. And she texts me a, a, a gif of a guy, you know, raising his eyebrow. And I said, she's basically, what is it? And I said, the next time you want to buy bedding, buy whatever you want, even if it's flowers. And she said, why? And I said, because I just want you to have what you want. And she says, no, tell me. It's like she doesn't trust me or something. <laughs> She's like, no, tell me, tell me why. She's like, no, tell me why. And I said, because I'm studying for this message for Sunday and I just got convicted and you can have whatever, whatever, you, whatever you want, because I'm a guy. Give me a, a TV and a recliner, I'm good, okay? Um, and a refrigerator, put my food in. That's about all I need. But, uh, you know, uh, but I can live anywhere. So, but, you know, if it makes her happy, that's what I, that, I want to do. In today's society, what we've done is we've exalted the feelings of love, not the actions of love. Let me give you an example. Romeo and Juliet is not a love story. It is not a love story. I mean, they, they throw their entire families under the bus. They lie to everybody. And then they commit suicide but at the thought of not being with each other. Romeo and Juliet were fools. The only thing we can learn from them is that we can't learn from them. Okay? Um, look, if there's a single person and you like someone, and you want to marry them, well, we got to ask the question, why do you want to marry them? Do you want to marry them because they're beautiful? Because you get along together, you get along well, you have a lot in common? Do you want to marry them because they make you feel good? Look, these are all wonderful things. These are all good things. They're not going to sustain your marriage. Not going to sustain your marriage. How about... You decided to love, how about, how about this, guys? How about you decided to love them and put their needs above yours until the day that you die? How about that? How about that? Because look, that, that's, that's what you should do. That's what husbands are called to do, is put the needs of the wife first. Guys, if someone is going to be cold, it should be you. Guys, if someone is supposed is going to be sore, it should be you that's sore. If someone is going to be hungry, it should be you, the one that should be hungry. You know, I, I think chivalry is a biblical principle because you put her needs above your own. Turn to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. 
This, this verse in 1 Corinthians 7, it's a verse for, for it's mainly it's people, for people on the fence deciding if they're going to get married or not. But this verse is for people who are married, for people who are single, for people who are trying to decide if marriage is for them. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse, we're going to look at verse number 32. But I would have you without carefulness, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, what he's being, what he's saying here is being single is better for the kingdom of God. And that is true. That is the truth. Being single is better for the kingdom of God because a single person can spend so much time serving God. We were getting ready for the, everybody was geared up getting ready for the LSU Clemson game, okay? And I watched that game. It was a good game. And, uh, but before the game come on, uh, the news, uh, you know, usually I don't watch the news, but I was watching it for the weather's sake because we had some tornadoes coming up. And uh, they had this guy, they were getting ready for the LSU game, and they had this guy on there who had been to every single LSU game since the 60s. He had not missed one, and he had every ticket stub for every game. That collection is going to be worth something one day. And the reporter asked him, how in the world could you go to every game? And the guy looked at the reporter and said, I never got married. He said, he said, I never got married. And, uh, you know, just think about somebody who's single. And if all that, all that effort was put towards living for God, man, you could, really, you could really do a lot for God. So the single person can spend so much time, you know, for the kingdom of God. But a married, but a married person, you got to have a date night. Got to have a date night. So as a married man, I'm a little more focused on material things, not on godly things. Material things doesn't mean on godly things. But I'm a little bit more focused on material things because, look, I'm, I, I got to take care of my bride. I got to provide for her. You know, I, I'm a little bit more focused on changing oil, you know, than, than somebody who's single and and, and in the ministry, because I've got a family to provide for, you know, I got to buy the groceries. I went to Bible college and there's a certain group of kids. And I don't know if y'all have any experience with this term, but there's a certain group of kids that we saw in, in Bible college come and they were called PKs. What a PK is. PK is a preacher's kid. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I saw a lot of PKs and PKs really, they're kind of some of the most ungodly Christians out there. I mean, they're kind of some of the worst out there. And, uh, you know, and what would happen that I would see is these, 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 these kids would have these dads who, who are these big pastors and they'd have these massive ministries and all their focus and attention was going on to the ministry 
and they weren't focusing on the kids as much as they should. And the kids were getting kicked out for getting caught with liquor, getting caught with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They were getting kicked out of college. And they were hiding around and sneaking around. And I've talked to several of them. I made friends with a lot of them. And I would just point blank up and ask several of them, what's the deal with this whole thing about PKs and then not being that Christian, you know, not being that godly? And a lot of them would tell me the same thing. It says, I believe it's because my dad never cared. He always more concerned about his ministry than focusing on his family. And like I told you before, if you don't have a family, you don't have a ministry. But the, this mentality that's, that was out there and probably still is, is that, that if I focus everything on my ministry, God will take care of my family. But that disregards 1 Corinthians 7. A married man needs to care about the things of this world and care about this material things because he has to take care of his wife. He has to take care of his family. So here's another question I want to ask. What if the wife doesn't submit? What the wife does not submit in a marriage. Now, remember what I told you last week. It is never the husband's job to force the wife to submit. That's actually, they have some name for that. That's called abuse. Okay? It's never the husband's job to force the wife to submit. So when the wife doesn't submit to the authority of the husband and she rebels against that, what is the husband supposed to do? Well, He's supposed to love her. He's supposed to love her. That's what he's supposed to do. Even if the wife is mistreating him, even if the wife is not honoring his authority in the marriage, um, you're still to show her love. Husbands that are going through that, I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but it's right. It's right. Look, you don't show the love of Christ when she's all lovey-dovey back to you. You show the love of Christ when she hurts you. You show the love of Christ when she embarrasses you. You show the love of Christ when she hurts your feelings or she offends you, and then you love her anyway. That's the love of Christ. That's what the love of Christ is. And you know, in the scripture, there really isn't a good example of a, of a, of a good husband who always puts their wives first. I mean, wives, you're told to look at Sarah as an example. Uh, well, for us husbands, Abraham wasn't the best example. Uh, several times, Abraham put his needs above that of his wife. And so really the best example that you can find in Scripture is a guy named Hosea. And, and his example's really going to depress the husbands. Okay. Um, but Hosea is told by God to marry a prostitute, okay? She cheats on him. He takes her back. She leaves him, has kids with other men, goes back into prostitution, which leads to her being sold into slavery, and then he buys her back. He has grounds for divorce, but he doesn't do it. He takes her back, and she stays with him. He is an example of a good husband. Um, what did he do? He took her sins on himself. And he says, Lord, with your strength, I'm going to bear the weight of these sins because I'm going to love my wife unconditionally. 
Oh, another good example to follow is Christ, that self-sacrificial love. Now, these examples, this doesn't mean that our wives are evil or something. These are just extreme examples. But these extreme examples show me and you, husband, that there is never a time when we are not to love our wife. We are commanded to do so. Ephesians 5, 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Two words should be highlighted in that verse, and that's the word nourish and the word cherish. So just as Christ takes care of the church in this way, uh, like his own body, so the husband should take care of the wife and nourish and cherish the wife like it was his own body. Um, First, the husband for the wife needs to nourish her. And and, uh, I'm to give my wife what she needs. Physically, emotionally, also spiritually, I'm to provide for my wife. Next is cherish. Man, that's an interesting word, cherish. Y'all remember the song? Cherish is the word. Lord, I apologize for that there. I'm sorry. Uh, But you're supposed to cherish your wife. And cherish, that means to tenderly care for. It means to comfort. Let me read you another verse, Colossians 3.19. Listen to this. This is interesting. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, telling husbands not to be bitter towards your wives after you told them to to love them, that's kind of strange, you know. But the word bitter here doesn't mean hold a grudge against. That's not what bitter means. The word bitter here means it means don't be harsh to your wife. You ever see a husband and he's just mean to his wife and he's just short with her and sharp with her? Look, your wife is supposed to be the one person you're the nicest to, okay? It's the one person you're supposed to be the nicest to. You know what the opposite of that bitterness in that verse is? It's Proverbs 19, 22, where it says, the desire of a man is his kindness. You know, sometimes you deal with people and you just want them to be kind. Can't you just be a kind person? Like you be kind to them and you want them to be kind back. And we have to stop and get out of this idea is that the older we get and the longer we're around someone, the less kind we have to be to them. And that ought not so to be. Nay, it should be the longer you're around somebody, the kinder and more gentler and more merciful you should be to that person. Now, we're going to go back to 1 Peter 3, 7. Let's go back to 1 Peter 3, 7 now. First Peter 3, 7. Now we're going to un- unpack this verse. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Look, women's rights are important. They're important. And anywhere true biblical Christianity has been, women's rights have been elevated. But some people think 
that if you acknowledge any difference between a man and a woman or anything that a man is better than a woman in, you're sexist. I could say, you know, men are generally taller than women. Oh, now I'm a sexist. I'm a sexist now. And you can make these observations about men and women, but you better not say them out loud or you're going to get into some trouble. You can say nice things about women and bad things about men and nobody will say anything, but you can't reverse that. You can't say that backwards. I mean, I can say that women are prettier than men. Praise the Lord. This is a good thing. I can say that women are more nurturing than men. Uh, they have better parenting skills. Women have this amazing ability to, to bear children. And it's a wonderful thing that, that men cannot do. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But uh, if you say that a man is better than a woman at anything, you know, uh, it's just considered so bad. Generally, you know, the thing is, is that, that men have always, men are better leaders than women. Oh, but that's when the picket signs come out. Oh, they're going to march on us now. We're going to be on the news because I said that out loud. See, you, 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 this fact that you just can't acknowledge any difference, it's not real. It's made up. It's pretend. There are differences, and it's okay to talk about them. What is meant here by the woman is the weaker vessel? What does that mean? Well, it's in the word vessel. The word vessel is used to describe the body. Okay, and, and, and that is all that's weaker in a woman. Okay, uh, women aren't morally weaker. They're not spiritually weaker. They're not intellectually weaker. And it seems to me that women are actually uh, uh, more spiritual than men. Look around in our churches today and you'll see that. Okay, there are things in a woman's body that, that makes bearing children easier for them but it makes their body weaker than a man's, okay? Women are generally colder because they keep that core body temperature close to the womb. It keeps, keeps the, the baby warm. Um, a 150-pound man and a 150-pound woman, the same weight, usually the man has 15% more muscle mass, usually in the upper body. These are, these are biological differences, we can't ignore them and just pretend they don't exist. When you're a man and you're going into the Marines, you have to do three pull-ups or you can't be in the Marines. If you're a woman, you don't have to do any pull-ups. Is that unfair? No, because a woman's not a man. It's a woman's not a man. It's not unfair. It's silly to think there are no differences. That's why there are no women in the NFL. Now, I'm sure there's the rare, the rare woman that could get out there and sack Drew Brees. I'm sure that they exist. But in general, women are not in the NFL. That would be insane. Men and women are different, wonderfully different by design. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge. What knowledge is he talking about? He's talking about the knowledge that you're different. And that difference gives you a place to love her. So because I know this, I am to honor her and not dishonor her. 
How do I honor her? How do I honor my wife? I open the door. I carry the thing. I take the bullet. If there is a loss or there is a sacrifice or is there a suffering that must be done, I take the loss. I take the sacrifice. I take the suffering because I am to daily set aside my needs for her. That is my job as husband. What the danger of 1 Peter 3, 7 is? It says that your prayers be not hindered. Look, God, husbands, God takes this so seriously. He takes it so seriously, husbands, that he says, husbands, if you fail in your ministry to your wife, it's going to hinder your prayer life. I'm not going to answer your prayers if you fail in this. Your prayers will be hindered if you don't treat your wife how you're supposed to be treated. That is how they're supposed to be treated. That is how important this ministry that a husband has to his wife. But it, this doesn't mean that if the husband is the, if the marriage fails, it's all the husband's fault. That's not what it means. It says that a husband's job is to do his job. Now, what I want to end today is I want to end talking about um, husbands and wives and, and their jobs uh, inside and out the home. I'm going to read for you Titus chapter two, verses four through five. <clears throat> Let me read this that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of the home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So here, the Bible talks about this, the role of a woman as a keeper in a home. Some translations have that as a homemaker, Okay. Uh, these, these are all words you say out there in the world. They're going to pick at you. Okay. Um, in order to spell out the husband's role, I have to spell out the wife's role. And, uh, you know, and you know what this, these, this keeper, of the home homemaker, you know, what is literally translated as worker in the home. That's what it's translated as worker in the home. Now people have taken this verse and they've preached. Oh, well, this means a woman should not have a job outside of the home. And a woman should only work in the home. But I don't think that's accurate. I don't think you get that much out of this verse, out of that word keepers of home, homemaker. I don't think you get that much out of it. Um, it does mean that the bride should be working in the home. It means that she should not abandon the wife and mother responsibilities to go work outside the home and hire these responsibilities out to someone else. I do believe that is what it means. In fact, the Proverbs 31 woman, she, she took care, her kids were taken care of, her, her, her husband was taken care of, her home was taken care of, and she even purchased a field. And she had a little side business going. So the, even, even, even the Proverbs 31 woman had a secular job, okay? So, I mean, that's, so it's not like you can't have a job outside the home. Women, you can but you can't neglect the home. Now that we talked about that, let's, let's end on the men. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says this, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now the Bible's weighing in here as men as providers. And 
If a man does not provide for his home, he is worse than an unbeliever. That is a strong, strong statement. Now, there are instances where the man can't provide, like there may be a disability or something like that where the man can't. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a man who physically can, but just won't. And what this verse says, this verse says that he is denied the faith. No matter how loudly he professes he believes in God, if he doesn't provide for his family, he is denied the faith. Husbands, you've got a big role to fill. I've laid some stuff out this morning. I've laid some stuff out that might have offended some of you. I laid some stuff out here today that's that's hard for you to hear. Some of it's hard for the wives to hear. Some of it's hard for the husbands to hear. But it's right. Because it comes from that book. Yeah, husband, you do make the decisions in your family. You do. But what you need to decide to do is bless your wife. Yeah, she's supposed to submit to your authority, but who she's supposed to submit to is somebody who puts her needs above his own. And that's the synergy of a Christian marriage. And like I said last week, don't don't worry about the job the other person's doing. Husband, don't worry about the job the wife is supposed to do. You just do what you're supposed to do. Wife, don't look over your shoulder at the husband and worry about if he's doing his job. You just do what you're supposed to do. Genesis 2.24 Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh.